Welcome to the 12th episode of Dialogica. I'm Stephanie Dankilisan. And I'm Sweden Lee. And this week we're going to talk about our founding father. And no, it's not the one you think it is. It's not Sukarno. Where's actually going to be Muhammad Hatta. Uh, our lesser known founding father. And we're also going to try a little bit of a different style of podcasting today, where it's going to be more of a narration. And then we're going to launch and use that to talk about Hatta's legacy and thinking about democracy and what that means about our nation, history, and political identity. So here's to it. Last week, we celebrated our nation's 71st year of independence. We saw people proudly singing Indonesia Raya, riotously playing the various games of Panjat Pinang and various other shenanigans. We saw people using this occasion to celebrate how far we've come as a nation, or to air their concerns as to how they felt that we've regressed as a country. Today, we'd like to take a little bit of a step back to consider what has gotten us here in the first place and shine a little light. To our founding father, first Vice President Muhammad Hatta. Muhammad Hatta was born in Bukittinggi, Sumatra, on August 12, 1902 to a well-known and relatively wealthy and proudly and strongly Islamic family. While growing up with privileges, Hatta's own father died when he was just eight months old. As part of the Minangkabau people, a fairly matrilineal society in Sumatra, he was raised in his mother's family along with his six sisters. Fortunately for Hatta and perhaps us as a nation, his mother's family was wealthy and Hatta was able to use his privileges to study in various elite Dutch schools in Padang and then the elite HBS in Batavia. As you would have maybe guessed, he was a diligent student who graduated cum laude and excelled in academics. He even got a chance to study economics in Rotterdam in the Netherlands. Where he also studied, in particular, legal administrative law. He was a man of the books. He was also a little revolutionary at night and took what he studied into action. While in the Netherlands, Hatta joined the Indies Association, which was later the infamous Parhimpunan Indonesia, which was initially a student organization for the colonized nation's students, but soon turned into a hotbed for political organization that demanded unconditional independence for Indonesia. There was no compromising on the fact that Indonesia had to be a sovereign nation. At the ripe old age of 25, all of these activities landed him in trouble and the Dutch authorities raided the residence of the organization's leaders, including Hatta, and put him and four other Indonesian activists behind bars. He was tried at The Hague, which eventually led him to have to spend two years in prison, but was allowed to finish his doctorate 
before making his way back home to Indonesia. By the time he returned to Indonesia, because of all the writing he has been doing for the student organization in the Netherlands, his name was very famous and well known amongst the other organization leaders back in Jakarta. And during that time, he met up with Sukarno, Sultan Syariah, and all the other top dogs in the Indonesian independence scene. And as one of the leaders of the pro-independence movement, this landed him in and out of prison by the Dutch, in Digul, in Bandanera, and in Papua, where he continued writing as a means of sustenance and continuing propaganda in order to spread consciousness about Indonesia having to gain sovereignty. When the Japanese came and occupied Indonesia, Hatta and Sukarno, as the leaders of the pro-independence movement, definitely and on the surface appeared to cooperate with the Japanese, as Hatta got the Japanese to agree that Indonesia should be and will be a sovereign country. Despite knowing that this was a sham, Hatta thought that this was a vitally important tactic because if a fascist country like Japan would agree that Indonesia should be independent, what would the other democratic countries say? Meanwhile, they continued to support and ask other independence leaders like Shatter to continue to galvanize, raise consciousness, and do the underground movement in order to spread consciousness and organize for independence movement when the time comes. And by the time August 17, 1945 came, the rest is history. Jakarta, 17 Agustus 1945, atas nama bangsa Indonesia, Soekarno Hatta. And that was Hatta speaking on August 17, 1949, to the Indonesian diaspora in the Netherlands, discussing the struggle Indonesia has as a new democracy and his hopes for it. Hatta was a deeply prolific and thoughtful man. So as a new student of Hatta, trying to encapsulate his philosophy and add his democracy in a nutshell is quite difficult, so I'd just like to read this quote from a close confidant of his. Hatta believes that democracy cannot be built by force, whether from above or below. That is why he, as vice president, did not want to impose his ideas on others. Rather, he laid stress on persuasion in the hope that other people who at first did not share his opinion, might do so later on. This quote was from a foreword written by Delia Noor in 1972 as a part of Portrait of a Patriot collected writings of Muhammad Hatta. Delia Noor was a close confidant to Muhammad Hatta and a former presidential advisor to President Suharto. And Noor and Hatta actually wanted to form a political party after 65, mm-hmm. but was banned by Suharto because... Because I, maybe he did. He probably believed that Hatta would have won, and that this could have been a threat to Suharto's presidency. Mm-hmm. But in true Hatta fashion, he really did not believe that he should seize power, or 
gain power by undemocratic means. And this yeah. is a theme repeated in Hatta's life and legacy, and perhaps with some consequences for Indonesia. So Muhammad Hatta decided to step down from the vice presidency in 1956 mm-hmm. after 10 years, or well, 11 years, of presiding over the new nation. Yeah. So he also tried to persuade Sukarno to hold a fully democratic election in order to have proper representatives to office. But Sukarno did not agree and Hatta alone stepped down from office. And pretty much from this point till 1965, Hatta removed himself from public office. And, and from 1965 until his death in 1980... He basically also kind of isolated himself from politics in general. Yeah, Noor commented that he saw himself more as an elder statesman, even though he started to continue to write um, rebukes of Sukarno, which was called... Scathing, de- to say the least. And it was called Democracy Kita, or Our Democracy, which was subsequently banned by Sukarno. And um, still very hard to find in the bookstores. Yeah, we had to find used bookstores. Yeah, they don't publish it anymore, and that was... Yeah, which is kind of a slap in the face if I if I were him. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he definitely stood by his convictions. This was a man that was convinced that the only way Indonesian democracy can work is if it came from the people. Mm-hmm. And when he first saw the signs of Sukarno trying to take all the power, right, mm-hmm. um, in the years after independence, he mm-hmm. knew that if they didn't hold a democratic election, a true democratic election, that this was going to turn into a dictatorship. A sham democracy, mm-hmm. if to say, which without you know the true will and representation for the people. I think he saw the first act of maybe quote unquote undemocratic means of proclaiming himself as vice president as necessary first step. But this was to condi- establish the nation. Yeah, right, yeah, but this was a conditional only in that particular time. And now that they have a nation, a democratic process was needed. And when he stepped down in 1956, that was a shock not only to. Sukarno, but also to the rest of the nation. This was a man that was very well respected, mm-hmm. the bureaucrat that helped create the nation. Mm-hmm. And arguably, you could say that if Sukarno was a great charismatic um, showman to mm-hmm. the outside world, Hatta was the kind of person you needed to govern. Pencil pusher, the administrator, the bureaucrat, the one who gets things done. But he didn't want to do it if he wasn't democratically chosen. Even if, I mean, I, I kind of think that if they had the election, he'd probably... Get it. Won. Win it. And what's also interesting was Hatta was also a very important representative for the rest of Indonesia outside of Java because he was Sumatran. Yeah. Um that meant a lot in the sense of, you know, Indonesia as a not just Java. Not just Java. Yeah. And Sukarno being Javanese. Yeah, and the fact that Sukarno did usher in a new age of it's called guided democracy, which mm-hmm. if you're not familiar with Sukarno was leaning more towards dictatorial means and, you know, appointed his own DPR or parliament and dissolved a parliament that he didn't agree with. I mean, if you were being kinder, you would say it's patriarchal democracy. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, he always said it was to lead into mm-hmm. democracy, but he never took measures from 55 to 65, another 10 years, so 20 total years in power to have an election. And I mean, arguably, the first five years, 45 to 50, they had to fight. And the fights for independence, we didn't gain our independence overnight, even no. though we declared it overnight. Yeah. And it was only really from the 50s onwards that they really start to rule. So arguably, five years mm-hmm. is a short time to truly govern a newly democratic country. So I can also see where it's coming from, from Sukarno, but also... That the project's not over yet? Yeah. The project is not over yet. And 
you know, you don't really have any sort of system or anything in place to truly rule a nation. True, but it's also it's interesting. I mean, I can also understand Hata's perspective. Oh, for sure. Because they were not; they were just、mm-hmm. the leaders of a movement.、Mm-hmm. They they may not necessarily be the best people. Yeah. To govern, after all, right? Like just because you、mm-hmm. can lead. The founder of a country who can create a nation may not be the best person to lead a nation. Exactly. Those are different skill sets. And it only took the infamous coup, right?、Mm-hmm. Get the double S, and Suharto assuming power, that things changed. And what was interesting is that Hatta wrote in another various writing of his. He wrote a lot. He wrote a lot that he was not surprised by the fall of Sukarno because he considered fifty-five and what happened afterward as a failure of a civilian government. That a civilian government could not get their things in order and govern democratically, so the triumvirate between him and Sukarno was broken, and the new triumvirate was now Suharto as president and the Indonesian military,、mm-hmm. who he supposed could have gotten things done better. And I guess that's a little bit more democratic <laughs> in his eyes.、Uh, I think. I don't I mean, think he thinks it's democratic. I think. Maybe, it responds more to the people. I don't think so. I don't know if it does. Maybe he considered Suharto more of a bureaucrat who got things done than Sukarno, who spent a lot of money creating monuments and pretty buildings. And maybe he had hope in Suharto and creating a bureaucratically sound country. I think what's interesting, if you really were to compare Suharto and Sukarno, right? Suharto was a Not the charismatic showman that Sukarno was.、Mm-hmm. In, in that way, he was more like Hatta. He was more like Hatta, and he listened to the people a little bit more because he was less outwardly facing as Sukarno and more inwardly facing in terms of domestic things. And probably less out of touch. Yeah, I mean, Sukarno spent most of his time and、um, the country's money abroad. That's that, that's the truth of his presidency. Yeah. Right, and I think Hatta, knowing, in as much as it would probably have hurt the nation.、Mm-hmm. That he needed to make a stand for true democracy because Sukarno wasn't going to do it. Yeah, not that Suharto was. No, and that's part of the complicated、yeah. legacy that we need to consider about Hatta because he, he didn't do much. He, I mean, right? He survived through various eras of Indonesian politics. Yeah, and he died in old age in 1980. Yeah, so we can't say that he didn't have a chance to do something to, about Suharto or to respond or whatever. But it's also hard to think that. We should always put the burden of doing something on him as well. Well, people might know Sukarno as the. Flamboyant statesman that was、mm-hmm. hanging out with Marilyn Monroe and JFK.、Yeah. People don't know that Hatta did his share of, you know, socializing with other world leaders, arguably in a much classier way. Oh yeah, his buddy, his photos was like with Jawaharlal Nehru and、mm-hmm. a lot of other political、um, individuals. So a big thing that he did was 
in his Netherlands days, he's networked with a lot of um, colonial countries' future leaders. So mm-hmm. he knew Gandhi, he knew Nehru, and he knew a lot of the other African and South American leaders. And what interesting story was that he sneaked to India, invited by Gandhi and Nehru, to try have India help them write a petition to the United Nations. Mm-hmm. And he did that using fake passports under the name Abdullah and yes. like had the whole pilot co-pilot get up to yeah. like sneak out of the country because he was still wanted by the Dutch at that time. So what I found out from this making this podcast is that Hatta's really not a boring man. Like he's no. really interesting. Yeah, the wild youth. <laughs> and I think a lot of people have this image of him as a boring bureaucrat and statesman and it's just like... With his glasses mm-hmm. and his like... No. Very forced smile. Yeah. But if you read a lot of what people wrote about him, he was notoriously really funny mm-hmm. and an introvert, but he was really warm when you got to know him. Yeah, and he was very smart, very intelligent, knew a lot of things and cared deeply about the people. Mm-hmm. Right. Sometimes when you look at images of him where he seemed kind of standoffish mm-hmm. because he wasn't the charismatic orator that mm-hmm. Sukarno was, mm-hmm. that you think he doesn't care about the people. No. What I've discovered from doing the research for this episode he had a is that true authentic love for the people. Yeah, in a way that maybe you could argue kind of hurt the trajectory of the nation. Mm-hmm. But also at the same time, you got to admire him for his courage to say, I'm going to step down. I don't know what's going to happen after I step down. Not for myself, not for the country. But I'm going to step down because mm-hmm. that's what democracy is about. And he had such a profound faith in a particularly Indonesian democracy. Mm-hmm. In the sense that he, when he stepped down and was to Karno, took guided democracy. And when Sukarno took control and had guided democracy, he always felt that democracy would one day, in its true form, return to Indonesia. And to end today's episode, we would like to have a very special guest, a former senior journalist at Swarapamaruan newspaper and investor daily, who also coincidentally is my father, uh, to read a quote from Hatta's essay, Menuju Indonesia Merdeka, Heading to Independent and Free Indonesia, published in 1932. Hi, my name is Wim. I used to be the chief editor of uh, Swarapamaruan, Indonesia's largest evening newspaper. Akan tetapi, bukan kebangsaan ningrat dan bukan pula kebangsaan intelek yang dikehendaki oleh pendidikan nasional Indonesia, melainkan kebangsaan rakyat. But it is not just a democracy for the elites or the intellectuals, but a democracy for the Indonesian people. The masses are the body and the soul of the nation, and the life and death of Indonesia as a free nation depends on their spirit. The duty of the intellectuals and the elites is to shine the light or illuminate the direction the country should be heading. But the foundation of our free Indonesia must be based on the sovereignty of the masses, based on the will of the masses. In this national struggle for freedom, we can only rely on our own efforts. Therefore, our slogan will be self-confidence and willingness to make sacrifices. And with this mindset, we will head for victory forward. First published in Indonesia Merdeka, 1924-25. Thanks so much for listening and happy belated Independence Day to our federal nationals.
Special thanks to Pak Wim for appearing as our Indonesian speaker. In case you were wondering, we also wanted to note our use and gratitude for the following music. The instrumental version of Indonesia Raya, our national anthem. The Bansai music of the Minangkabau people we used to cover Hatta's biography section. Johann Christian Snickhart's Concerto for Flute, Two Oboes, Strings in G Minor. And the Indonesian patriotic song, Majuta Gentar. Special thanks to the resources that we've leaned on heavily this week for this podcast. Most notably, Muhammad Hatta, Politik Kebangsaan and Ekonomi, 1926-1977. There's a lot of stuff he wrote firsthand on this book, and it's kind of hard to find. So, it was although it was written by Kompas. We'll um, provide links for it as much as we can. Yeah, I got mine in Bukalapak uh, so, online. We actually got a few books that are now out of print and no longer published. Online, on yeah. various retailers. Mm-hmm. And even the more, if you want something that's a little bit more... Simpler and general, you've got Bung Hatta Di Mata Tiga Putrinya, which is a memoir written by his daughters about his family life. And Hatta Jejak Melampoi Jaman by Tempo. And there's a lot of really interesting pictures that you can see about Hatta's past here. So <laughs> I'm sorry to our non-Indonesian reading listeners. There's not a lot of translated resources for you. The one that I got, Portrait of a Patriot, was an out-of-print 1970s copy that I got from the free U Chicago book sale. As they were throwing it out. <laughs> As they were throwing it out because no one checked it out. But I encourage you, if you want to go find out more about this guy, you should, you know, scour your libraries. Uh, maybe. I'll probably try to find academic journal articles about this that mm-hmm. I can find and throw them out there as well. He wrote a lot. That's, he wrote a lot. He relied on his writings for living. Yeah. So It's just nowadays it's harder to find. But there are some resources. So shout out to them. You guys should definitely read them up. And as usual, music credits to Bro for Free. Jazzard and Ryan Little. Um, as always, check us out on dialogica.id and on SoundCloud and YouTube for our past episodes. And email us at dialogicapodcast at gmail.com or send us a Facebook message. And follow us on Facebook, Instagram, <laughs> and we'd love to hear from you as always. But here's to 71 years, Indonesia. Yay! <laughs> <laughs>